Good morning. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know that you will recognize the text. And I believe we all recognize also our need to refresh our minds with portions of the word we've previously heard and learned and hopefully are living. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love <clears throat> bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The story is told of a little girl in the first grade who was invited to dinner with her friend. The vegetable was buttered broccoli. And the mother who hosted the dinner said to the visiting girl, Do you like broccoli? Oh yes, the little girl said, I love it. When the bowl of broccoli was passed, the little girl declined to take any. And the hostess said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the little girl replied sweetly, Oh, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat any. Well, that may be the way many people are, perhaps even some of us at various times in life. 
Do you love your family? Of course we do, but that love may not always be as active as it should. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Well, yes, we say, but there may be many limits that we have put on that love. Do you love your Bible? Do you love your neighbors? Do you love your enemies? You see the point. That while we may be quick to state our love and be defensive if anyone denies our love, what activity is produced? What qualities come to pass? What behavior is consistently expressive of this love? The Corinthians were guilty of using various gifts they had, but without discipline and without love. Paul wanted them, and God wants us, to take this concept of love defined in the Bible into our lives in very specific ways. So let's attend to this. We're going to study this. How do you define love? This is part of our ongoing series this year from 1 Corinthians. In November, we'll cover chapter 15. In December, chapter 16. But today, we're in chapter 13. And presently, the question is, how do you define love? That's the question here are the answers. Love is patient. This is interesting. It is one thing to have clear, academically based understanding of what the word patience means. It is not an enormous tax to pull the dictionary off the shelf and look up the English word patience. And if you want to dig deeper, you can look up the Greek word Paul used, which literally means long-tempered. Long-tempered. You can study all of that and have all those definitions well in mind, but the greater challenge is to determine that you will let the Word of God develop this discipline in your mind. The challenge is not only to learn the Word, but to learn what the Bible says about patience and love so well that you are committed to its faithful execution every day in actual life. Not only just knowing what it means and maybe repeating the definition, but when you're irritated and frustrated and on the verge of being impulsive, patience restrains you. Long-tempered. I think most of us know what it means to be short-tempered, but long-tempered. Long-suffering, slow to anger, willing to endure wrongs without pulling the trigger that fires some unworthy explosion. There was a preacher one time, not me, 
There was a preacher who worked in his study eight to ten hours a day. He was out seeing people sometimes in the late hours of the night. He was always talking on the telephone to people and reading and working and visiting with his colleagues. And his wife believed that he was killing himself with his work. Not to mention, she was not getting much attention. So one day when he was out, she went into his study and gathered up all the sermons and class material that he had just finished and threw it into a pile of article drafts that he was working on and loaded all that up and took it all in and put it in the fireplace and it went up in smoke. He came in later that day. It was a cold winter day and he warmed himself by the fire. And he said to his wife, My, that's a great fire you have built. Where did you get all that kindling? And she said, Go into your study and look at your desk. And he rushed in, alarmed by the absence of several days' worth of work. But he came back in, and he said to his wife, My dear, I must bid you an early good evening. I must be about the task of providing you with tomorrow's kindling. Now that's patience. If we have the kind of love demonstrated by Jesus Christ and described by Paul, that kind of love is patient. And this kind of love is kind. I'm told that inside this word kind, there is the idea of usefulness. A kind person is disposed to be helpful, to be useful, looking for opportunities to meet the needs of others in the most pleasant ways. Listen to Jesus on the subject in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The proving ground for love is how patient we are, how kind we are. A wise man declared in Proverbs 19.22, that which makes a man to be desired is his kindness. Love does not envy. If you just can't stand it when others succeed in greater measure than you, that's envy. If your buddy has the new truck that you think you really deserve. If your co-worker gets the raise that you believe you should have had. If your friends get the attention and the applause that you think you should receive, 
if you burn inside, if you just can't stand to look at people anymore because they're receiving what you believe you ought to receive, that attitude is destructive and immature. It'll make you sick and it exhibits an absence of love. Do we remember Matthew 27, 18, that for envy they handed Jesus over to death? Have we not read James 4 in verse 2? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Envy will kill you. And as we die, the irony will be we still don't have that truck or raise or parade. Love does not boast. I was thinking about this one time in the study of Romans. And I was in Romans chapter 3 and 4 where it talks about the grace of God and the abundance of that grace. And Paul said Abraham had no grounds to boast. You know why? Because everything good that he had came from God. So Abraham had no grounds to boast. He received every good thing he received in life from God, not by merit, but by the activity of his simple faith and the activity of his trust in God. So boasting was ruled out. We're familiar with that concept when we talk about salvation. But then we start thinking and talking and we entertain this question. What can we boast about? You got it yet? What can we boast about? Everything we have, every talent, opportunity, every challenge, every blessing, every gift, every time, every good health. We cannot boast about anything really. It all comes from God. The braggart tries to impress others by reciting his great accomplishments. And sometimes it takes a very common carnal form. We say to people, after all I've done for you. Or we issue reminders, we give people memos, and we remind them of all the good things and glorious successes and victories we've had. We find ways in casual conversations to hold a parade in our honor or set up ourselves to receive a trophy or award demanding a standing ovation. Love doesn't act that way. The humble, loving person is aware that everything he has is an undeserved gift from God. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 7 said, What do you have that you did not receive? And Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. Love is not rude. One translation says, Does not act unseemly. Bad manners. Impolite. Rude. You ever see any of that? We must all guard against needlessly offending and provoking people. 
Love has good manners. It is courteous and polite, sensitive to the feelings of others, always seeking to discover tact, but never giving up truth. I've told you the story before, probably, about a man who was generally lacking in manners. He never cared much for courtesy and propriety and warmth. Somebody observed about this man, back in the time when courtesy had greater honor, that he never opened the door for his wife. Often he would look back and say something in a joking way. She doesn't have two broken arms. After many years of marriage, his wife died. At the funeral, as the pallbearers brought her casket out to the hearse, the husband rushed from the family group, went to the hearse, and he opened the door. He turned to the crowd and said, May God forgive me. A lifetime of regret came crashing down on that man. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not selfish. does not yell all the time about my way, my rights, my needs. It has often been said that when you dig beneath bad behavior... When you track sin down to its ugly cause, you always find selfishness. Alan Redpath said, The secret of every discord in Christian homes, communities, and churches is that we seek our own way to our own glory. Linsky said, Cure selfishness and you replant the Garden of Eden. Well, the love Paul describes here, the love perfectly exhibited by Jesus Christ, does not tolerate selfishness. If husbands and wives can find this, if children can learn it early, if preachers and teachers will give attention to the teaching of this, we would be free of so much conflict just engage in the love described by Paul and exhibited by Christ and in that process give up selfishness. We'd be free of so much conflict. By the way, aren't you glad Jesus didn't insist on His right? He had the right to stay in heaven. But Philippians 2 tells the story of His unselfish humility that brought Him to this earth. A monumental expression of, of love unseen among men. Love does not insist on its own way. And this love is not irritable or resentful. Philip's paraphrase, it is not touchy. Some people make everyone around them walk on eggshells. One little thing, one misinterpreted look, one silent response, kaboom. Hypersensitive, easily offended, 
You don't have to say or do anything much, but you can push that button. Love doesn't act that way. And it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Actually, in the original language, there is here an accounting word. My daddy was an accountant. He kept track of every penny. He worked for a freight company. He turned mileage and weight reports and pickup and delivery times into freight bills. And then he watched for the payments to come back. And he was subject to audits, and so he kept track of every penny. It was his job. You know, some people have made it their job to watch, to calculate, to keep track of every wrong. These people must have very well exercised memories. Or maybe they write it down somewhere. I don't know. Wonder if there's a spreadsheet where you can keep track of the mistakes and sins and errors of others. Seems to me that would require a huge amount of time and observation and memory. Perhaps we should use our minds for higher purposes. One man said to his friend, you know, every time my wife and I get into a conflict, she is historical. And his friend said, historical? Don't you mean hysterical? No, he said, I mean historical. She rehearses everything I've ever done in the whole history of our marriage that was wrong. She doesn't miss a single offense. That's keeping score. It'll ruin you inside. It's not love. Love rejoices with the truth. Love is not glad when others do wrong. No, love is looking for truth and righteousness to celebrate and rejoice. When someone you don't like falls into sin, you don't gloat, you grieve. Because they've left the truth of God. John is sometimes called the apostle of love because of statements he made like this in 3 John 4. He said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Put a smile on John's face. Love wants to know the truth, spread the truth, Practice the truth, and love takes the deepest kind of pleasure when people are observed in their adherence to the truth of God. Love bears and believes and trusts and endures. Because, you see, love is an attitude of mind that becomes the action of life. Love is the attitude of mind that becomes the action of life. On 9-11, when the people on the aircraft that went down in Pennsylvania knew they were soon to die, what did they do? We know because we have, in some cases, recordings from voicemail systems 
and answering machines. Knowing they were minutes from death, they called their families, their wives, their children, their grandchildren. And they said, I love you. Let us make this love that Paul described our priority in life. Are you like the little girl who loved broccoli, but not enough to eat it? Do you love God, but not enough to obey? Do you love Jesus, but not enough to follow what he said? Do you love the writings the Holy Spirit gave in the Bible, but not enough to read them? Do you love your family, your friends, your brethren? How should that love exhibit and prove its existence? I tell you this. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Let's be standing as we sing.